Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. Our text today is Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, and we're going to spend most of our time in verses 13 through 14. And if you're new with us, this is your first Sunday. We've been going through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, and we're slowly plodding our way through it. The last three weeks, we've been looking at verses 3 through 14, but that's actually just one long sentence in Greek. And so it's a big enough sentence. It's taken three weeks, and honestly, it probably wasn't enough. But 11 through 14 is a perfect text for today, because at the end of both services, we're having, we're having a baptism. And baptism, when someone gets baptized, they're standing up and publicly declaring, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, It's a public profession of faith. I believe it's one of the first acts of obedience for a follower of Jesus. But today's text kind of answers the question, well, what, like, how do you become a follower of Jesus? So providentially, I think God lined it up. If we're going to celebrate the symbol of people giving their life to Jesus, and the text tells us, this is how you become a follower of Jesus. And so you're going to learn about what the people who are getting baptized have said yes to, which I think is pretty awesome. So let me read 11 through 14 for us of Ephesians chapter 3. And this is what it says. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this might sound initially arrogant or even narrow at first when I'm about to say, but hear me out. I believe that most people I run into who reject Christianity fundamentally don't understand it enough to truly reject it. And I believe that because a lot of the follow-up questions or comments, I'll hear someone describing something that isn't really Christianity. And so I'm excited even about this passage today because it really gets to the heart of what does it mean to become a follower of Jesus. And also, I've met lots of people who think they're followers of Jesus. And you ask some probing questions, and you realize... You're not. Like according to the scriptures, you're not. And I don't say that, and again, in an arrogant way, but more in a loving way of the scriptures reveal to us what this is. And the worst thing you could do is spend your whole life thinking you're following Jesus and realize, I've missed it. I've missed it. So this is a, a great, a great text. And um, often people mistake, I think, the ethics or the morality of following Jesus with what it means to become a Christian. And they get hung up on, there'll be a few things about the Christian faith that they can't get over. You know, what about, uh, I, I, I can't, you know, I just can't line up with the Bible's teaching on this. Or I can't, I can't do this, or I, or I can't do this. And these, these, these hurdles, and they often are ethical, moral hurdles of, of things I feel like I just can't step into. And in, and in one sense, like, yes, there is a Christian ethic. I mean, our mission as a church is to practicing the way of Jesus together. Following Jesus is a way of life. But often, becoming a, when that gets confused, though, with becoming a Christian, we lead with, well, to become a Christian is I, ha- I have to do 
X, Y, and Z. To become a Christian means um, I must do this, this, or this. You know, one of the, I think one of the biggest barriers when I, when I, when I speak to people about, about, about the Christian faith is, you know, I, I, I can't believe in Christianity or I can't follow Jesus because of what I think it teaches about sexuality and gender. Like, that's just too much of a burden, too much of a barrier for me. And I often kind of engage in that, in that topic a little bit of, of just starting with, hey, listen, everybody draws boundaries of some kind. Doesn't matter who you are, there's not a single person in the world that draws boundaries around, around sexuality and gender and what is healthy about that. And so I usually agree with someone of that. Even if it's just, just, you know, two consensual adults, that's still a boundary. So my question I lead with is, so what are yours? Where did you get them from? And how do you know they're healthy and good? Because often we, get, we enter in these kind, of, these kind of talks and we never even think those things through. Like whatever you hold to an ethic on that, where did you get it from? How do you know if it's healthy and good? Uh, but that's not what this morning's about. <laughs> as much as you're like, oh, come on, keep going, keep going. Um, there will be, there will be some more teaching on that this year as much as I like don't initially want to wade into it because, uh, we're going to be doing some one-off teachings this year called You Asked For It. And part of I'm polling our high school and college students, what topics do you want to hear taught? And this will be one of them. <laughs> and Ephesians addresses it, so we'll get there. But again, this is not what the, the thrust of this morning is. I bring that up because that's often the biggest hurdle for people. And they think, I can't, start to follow Jesus because I have a hold up about this part of Christian ethics. Um, and, and here's where I want to ask you to kind of lean in a little bit. Listen to what verse th- 13 says about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. It says, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so Tim Keller has this great quote that says, Christianity doesn't start by doing something. It starts by hearing something. It starts by hearing something. And so following Jesus doesn't start with a list of ethics. It starts with hearing or listening to a word of truth and responding to it. So here's my big hope for whoever you are, wherever you come from. If you're here this morning and there's something about Christian practice or ethics that's tripping you up, my, my hope is just you'll consider the truth claim behind it all. Because the biggest question you have to answer is not, do I like this, but is this true? Not do I like this, but is this true? Because then we respond to it. We kind of live under it. But more, if, if it's just about what we like, I mean... Doesn't put, put Christian teachings in any culture over all time in the history of the world. There's going to be certain things about it that go against the grain of the culture and what might even be considered like acceptable. And it's often different from Jeremy But the question is, is this true? Is this true? You know, last week we looked at um, how the, the, the scriptures are making a truth claim, a claim about the nature of reality. And there are four big questions everybody has to answer about life. Four big questions, it's, you know, where do we come from? What's wrong with the world? What's the solution? Where's everything headed? You know, everybody has to answer these four big questions. You you can ignore them for a while, but they all demand an answer. And so what Paul is saying here in Ephesians is that first and foremost, the, the, the scriptures are a word of truth. 
And so if you think of what is truth, truth reveals reality, the way things actually are. And uh, one of my favorite definitions of reality is it's what you bump into when you're wrong. <laughs> you know, they say you have a reality check. It's like, oh, you bump into it because you were wrong and something was revealed to you. So the scriptures are making a claim about the nature of reality, that there really is an answer to where we came from and what is wrong with the world and what the solution is. Everyone has to come up with an answer to these, to these questions. And I firmly believe that Christianity gives the best answers, the ones that line up with reality. Um, has anyone seen this bumper sticker? I'm sure most of us have the coexist bumper sticker. So I have a love-hate relationship with this bumper sticker, mostly a hate relationship. <laughs> but if this was saying, hey, everybody, of competing religions and beliefs, it would be really great if we could all just exist together in a pluralistic society and not try to wage war with each other. I'd be like, I'm all for it. That's a great, it's a great message. Let's stop the unnecessary fighting. But that's actually not what the author of this bumper sticker intends it to mean. The author of this bumper sticker intends this to mean, hey, guess what? All religions are basically the same. There's really no difference. It doesn't really matter what you believe because they're all sort of paths in the same direction. So just chill out. I'm like, that is the most, you don't know it, but that is the most condescending, naive view. Because every single one of those religions that his pictures up there is making a truth claim. And they are not all the same. They're not. They're often contradictory with each other. And does it arrogantly say, you know what, hey, they're all the same, just chill out. Like, that's so condescending. Uh, and I don't think anyone actually means it to be that way. But Christianity, again, offers, it is making a truth claim. It is making a claim about the nature of reality, that this is the way to God. And a lot of other ways are too. And they, and they compete. But becoming a follower of Jesus, again, is learning to listen to and respond to what is the truth claim that, this, that the scriptures are throwing out. And again, what's more important than do I agree with it necessarily is, is it true? So how would we know? How would we know that the scriptures are true, that the gospel is making a truth claim? And I think it's tied up in this understanding of this next phrase. It says that you were told, you heard the gospel of your salvation. The gospel of your salvation. I want to show you two slides that each have two very different messages on them. And I want you to look at them and think, what are the differences in these types of information? So the first one, three, 10 financial life hacks. There's only three there, but I'm sure there's more slides that go with it. All of these, pretty good advice. If you do that, probably uh, you'll have more money in your pocket. All right, well, how about this next one? What is this? News article about uh, victory in Europe in World War II. What's fundamentally different about these two pieces of information I just showed you? What do you think? One is advice. And what's the other one? News. And there's a big difference between advice and news. And so the gospel of Jesus, gospel means good news. It is not, you know, here's some spiritual tips to improve your spiritual life. It is, here is good news. News. Here is a declaration of what has happened. And um, becoming a Christian starts with a, with a response to that news. 
then everything flows from it. And I'm stressing that so much because I don't want you to think that following Jesus is just coming to church, trying to do some good things, doing your best. I mean, that ends up, in one sense, being an outflow of it. Uh, but this, I'm not going to get it right because I didn't, didn't write it down. But there's basically this quote that says, Coming to church no, makes, no more makes you a Christian than going to an auto shop makes you a car. Like, it, they're just not the same thing. So this is, this is how the original news of the Bible that was proclaimed in the first century would have looked like. And you might, it's a little bit cheesy, but here, here is what it probably would have been more. Like, that is the message. Again, it's not spiritual life hacks. It's something happened in history. God became a man, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. And it really happened. And if it happened, everything kind of needs to be said in light of this. And if it didn't happen, nothing about the truth claims of Christianity matters. If it's not real news about what happened, Apostle Paul, who wrote this, basically said, if the resurrection never happened, if it wasn't a real historical event, we of all people are most to be pitied. Like, what we're doing is pathetic, because we're putting our faith in something that didn't happen. And why I'm so strong on that is, again, the scriptures are making a hist- if, historical claim. If, they were, if this was just a book about religious advice, you could just be like, hey, this kind of helps me. But if we, if, we, if we respect it and take it on its own terms, it's making a claim about history that this really happened. And if it did, everything changes in light of it. Um, in a week or two, actually, we're going to take, take some time to look at uh, what are the evidences for the, for the resurrection, partly because that was one of the questions high schoolers asked. How do we know um, which would be a good lead-in in, in, into Easter? But this morning, I don't think I'm going to make that approach because almost everyone I talk to that decides to follow Jesus, they're not initially reasoned or argued into it. It's not the result of a really awesome apologetics conference. Um, not that they're bad. Those are often good for the Christians to kind of buoy their faith. But it's that you hear the good news, and deep down you just know it's true. This idea, this, this idea of God drawing us is a real thing, because almost everyone I talk to, when they decide to place their faith in Jesus, some part of their story is, there was just something drawing me, and I knew it was true. I wanted to believe it was true. So, Because we, we live in a world that we know is broken. It is. We're all impacted by it. It doesn't matter what you believe, Christian, non-Christian. Atheist, we see the brokenness of the world around us. We're impacted by it. And this bothers us. And it should. Brokenness should bother you. Because you, the world wasn't created that way. The, the story of the scriptures doesn't start off with a mess. It starts off with God creating things and saying it was good. It was very good. People had, people's, the relationship that you want to have with your friends, your spouse, your kids, your whatever, the relationship that you long for, the reason why you long for that is because that was the type of, those are the types of relationships we were created for. That emptiness you feel sometimes when it comes to your relationship with God and this desire to know him more, why is that placed in you? Because that is how you were created. So we almost have this distant memory of Eden tugging on our hearts this longing for it. But we know things are not the way they are because sin has messed everything up. And it causes the brokenness we see around us. And it also separates us from God relationally. 
you know, think of sin as, it's a loaded term, and you might come in like, what does it really mean? This is inadequate, but basically it could be the wrong things you do, the good things you don't do, but it almost operates like a force in a way pushing you towards a direction. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, the good things I want to do, how come I can't do it? And the things I know I should do, why don't I? I'm like, did you read my diet journal? Come on, Paul. <laughs> but we all feel, in a sense, this pull, and that's what sin does, and it leads to brokenness. So many of us experience it, and we're also the victims of other people's brokenness. Um, so I'm, I'm going to tell you about a moment I had this week, and you're probably going to make fun of me for it. And that's okay, because I would make fun of me for it. But uh, this Friday, I was, I, was, I was at the gym, and I had an emotional response to the song that was playing. And again, this isn't a humble brag to be like, oh yeah, by the way. Uh, uh, but it was this, <laughs> it's just the dumbest thing, because the song was Sing for the Moment by Eminem <laughs> that was playing. Not one you think you would have a spiritual reaction to. Uh, and I said you were going to make fun of me. But there was something about the first verse talking about this angry kid and the brokenness he was experiencing that was just it the the, the lyrics of part of it talking about this kid and he talks about you know he's a he's a problem child and what bothers him it all comes out and when he ta- when he talks about his dad walking out because he hates him so bad that he blocks it out if he ever saw him again he'd probably knock him out his thoughts are whacked he's so mad he's talking back his stepfather hit him, so he socked him back. And he broke his nose. His house is a broken home. There's no control. He let his emotions go. I don't know why when I was listening to that, I'm thinking like, that's, I think part of because the story of the song had no redemption in Jesus. And I'm like on the ab wheel, like trying not to cry. Because <laughs> I'm just like, but there's just something like, man, there's so much brokenness. And the kid in that song needed Jesus. And that's not just a song. That's so many people's reality. There's this brokenness we all express and we just see it all around us. And only, you almost like, count, again, in the gym listening to a lame Eminem song from the late 90s and just be like, gosh, there's brokenness. But the answer is Jesus. Like we should feel that brokenness in us from time to time because you see it, you experience it. But the message of the gospel is there is good news that Jesus died to take on our brokenness, that he really did live the perfect life that God really did love us enough that he died for us so we could encounter and know him. That's really good news, and people need to hear it. I mean, Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. The only perfect and innocent man who ever lived died a criminal's death because he didn't die for himself. He died for others. And he rose from the dead, you know, proving that what he had done had worked proving that all he said was true, proving that the gospel is good news. It's a declaration of what has happened and it's not just good advice. And he now offers eternal life, salvation, redemption, and restoration to all who repent and believe in that good news. And a Christian, what people are going to sit up here and declare they are, is someone who hears that word, someone who hears the gospel of salvation and then believes in it. It says right here, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. It's not enough just to hear it. It's not just to know about it. The question is, do you believe it? Do you, do you take Jesus at his word and to believe these truth claims he is making are actually true? 
In order for Jesus to have any value to you, you first have to admit your sinful brokenness and not trust in yourself. Admit you don't have the power to fix yourself or deal with your brokenness on your own. In other words, in order to be saved, you have to admit you need saving. In order to be saved, in order for it to be good news, you have to admit, I need it. And everybody who admits that, Jesus says, I lovingly, that is, that is what I've been waiting to hear. Repent and believe the good news because I have salvation and restoration on offer. That's why it's called good news. And when you do that and you're reconciled, you're in Christ. Everything we're reading about in Ephesians is then true of you. Your eternity changes. You're now an adopted son of God. You're offered healing for your brokenness. You're given a new family, the church. That's what it means to be a Christian. First and foremost, again, what makes you a Christian is not what you do, it's what you trust in. It's not what you do, it's what you trust in. That's why I can have confidence. Because if it was on my resume, like, oh, maybe one day I'm in, the next day I'm definitely not. I did pretty good, but then I went home and I was tired and cranky and yelled at my kids. It's like, okay, so was I in by noon and out by dinner? It's really hard to live that way. But the good news of Jesus is, is trusting is what has been done for you, not on your resume. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know your story as you come in. But I think more and more, I'm just confident that I know, I feel like every week someone's going to walk in who realizes that either I thought I was a Christian and I realize I'm not because it was just this list of things that I try to do or that's the best news I've ever heard and I need it. I'm stuck in my brokenness. So I want to give you a chance if you feel that God is drawing you and pulling you in a way to respond. And we've been doing this, doing this more, help, help, helping you respond. And what you can do is respond in a prayer like this. And I, whenever I tell people, try to lead someone in a prayer, I'm very much like, this is not magic. This is not a formula. This is not just say the right things. This is verbalizing the faith or belief that you feel like you have. So if you want to, if you want to just kind of just close your eyes and we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and you can just say some, some version of this after me. If this is you, if you come in, you feel like God is drawing you and you want to uh, believe in him as your savior. Be something as simple as God, I realize my life is broken and it's because of my sin and I need you. But I believe this truth. I believe that you came to live, die. And I believe you were raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and I put my trust in you. Jesus, I believe you are in charge of everything. I want to follow you. Come save me. Now, if you can just not, not look up yet, um, but like I asked last week, because I think there some, is something powerful about a small response. If you prayed that this morning, maybe you've been running. If you just kind of pick your head up and look at me so I can, I can follow up. If you prayed that this morning, thank you. Anybody else who prayed that this morning? Thanks. Make sure we follow up. And here's a word for the rest of us. Kind of, we're all in different places. But as I close, I just want to say one more thing. I know, and no matter who you are, I just feel like God is doing something or desires to do something in your life. Whether you feel close or super far. 
Last week, I kind of threw out the question, um, how many of you are hungry for more? And several of you indicated you were. But I also had some people come up to me, and I loved the honesty, and they said, guess what? I'm not. I want to be, but I'm not. And that's such a good place to be in. Uh, I read a, quote this, uh, a quote I read this week by John Tyson. He said, God can't transform the person you're pretending to be. God cannot transform the person you're pretending to be. So one of the most honest prayers you can say to God is, God, I do not hunger for you right now. I do not desire you. But man, I want to. I want to want to. Do something in me that I can't do. I've tried to muster it up, but it's not there. Lord, make me want to want you. So if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Lord, if there's someone, for those of us in here that just feel like our hearts are cold and we don't desire you the way we should, but we know we want to, but we just can't muster it up. Lord, I pray that you will encounter us. You will light a fire in us. You will give us the desire to seek you. You promise that you will, those who seek you will be found. But please do that for us this morning. Amen. I'm going to have the team come on up. And uh, before we celebrate baptism, we're going to, we're going to sing a song. And it's a, it's a kind of a combination of two songs. But the, um, I would say the prayer of this song is, is uh, asking God to light a fire in us. One thing, I had an image this week in my head of um, almost like a, a, of a campfire with wood on it and feeling at times where I'm that piece of wood that's trying really hard, but a piece of wood can't light itself on fire. You can't. You can just sit there and sit there, but you're not going to, like spontaneous combustion isn't a real thing. It's not just going to, it needs something or someone to light it. And that was just a, an image that resonated with me of God, like, please do that to me. Like, I can't do this in myself. I need you to do it for me. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.